Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brands. I'm your host, Allison Weisbrot, editor of Campaign US, and my guest this week is Gila Walensky, president of Zaxis, Group M's programmatic agency. As one of the OG agency trading desks, Zaxis was an early mover in the programmatic space. That positions the agency well today as the world becomes more addressable from CTV to digital out of home to commerce and retail media. Walensky became president in June at the height of the pandemic. She chats about the evolution of programmatic, how Zaxis is adapting to a privacy first future, and why communication is so important in a hybrid and virtual workplace. Hi, Gila. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for joining me. Excited to be here. I love doing podcasts. They're a lot of fun. Awesome. Me too. <laughs> two, two podcast nerds on a podcast. Let's do it. Let's um, do it. So Zaxis is um, one of the OG agency programmatic trading desks. I remember um, at my time at Ad Exchanger a few years back, that was always one of the biggest agency uh, groups that I was covering. And it was an interesting time for trading desks. Um, a lot has changed since then. So talk about what's been the focus um, since you've joined and, and how sort of the value prop has changed over time. Absolutely. Um, yeah, Zaxis has been around for a while. We just, you know, we're celebrating our 10th year um, this year. So 2021 was really an exciting year for us. And to your point, there's there's been a lot of evolution um, within the brand um, and our focus. And it sort of mirrors the evolution that programmatic has taken over the past uh, decade. It's come so far. Um, you know, from just a display, banners, triage, you know, remnant inventory to premium inventory, video, out of home, CTV, um, and like the list goes on and on of, of you know, media types that you can um, access through addressable media. So um, we've definitely, you know, evolved through the years. We are super focused on really hitting our client goals and, and driving outcomes for our clients. And outcomes can be something as simple as an acquisition um, or a purchase or something more sophisticated as a custom goal or brand brand goal for a client. So um, we really sort of follow what, based on what our clients need um, and and try to build some, some cool tools and products along the way to uh, make media more effective and to um, differentiate ourselves. Yeah, for sure. We'll talk about some of the some of the tools and stuff that you guys are building. But um, agency trading desk, that is a phrase that used to be thrown around a lot about four or five years ago. What does that mean to you now? Is Zaxis a trading desk or would you describe it differently? So we describe ourselves as the world's largest programmatic service organization. And I think obviously trading is a big component of what we do and media buying, but we also have um, teams of experts across analytics, uh, creative in-house services, AI and optimization teams. Um, so yes, we're, we're, we're trading, we're, we're buying media. We are experted in programmatic media, um, but we also have a lot of different enhancements and specialists to bring the entire programmatic landscape um, to life for our clients. So talk about the creative team. That's really interesting, right? Because a lot of times programmatic and, and creative are very siloed, but you have a creative team in-house. What do they focus on? What do they do? 
Sure. Um, our creative uh, team is called Zaxxis Creative Studios or XCS, who doesn't love acronyms. Um, and, and, you know, we focus on really the technical aspects of programmatic creative. So whether that's the, sim- you know, the most popular type of display campaign optimization, DCO, um, so personalization at scale, um, doing a lot in, in CTV personalization, commerce, native. Um, what we really want to do is just marry as many data points as possible with um creative inputs and make it as personalized as possible um, or customized as possible to an audience or a segment. Um, so, you know, in, in previous years, I think DCO definitely has been an area that we um, we love to play in. It's something that I think every client wants in some aspect. It's, it's still complicated to pull off. So it's not just one button that you can click. Um, but expanding into transforming, you know, one or two types of a video creative into um, dynamic uh, input-based uh, options uh, or iterations has been something that we've seen really drive performance. And, and, and it's the last mile of performance. I think you can optimize, you can optimize all day, but the message itself is important. And if you have access to those levers of changing those inputs, you can um, get more bang for your buck. Yeah. And I think, I think to your point, creative is the last mile of performance, but it's always been the missing link, right? So would you say that DCO and data-driven creative has gotten better over the years or does it still have a long way to go? I think it's gotten better over the years. I think, I think not every advertiser is leveraging it consistently across all of their portfolios as much as they could. I think it's still something maybe that's done on an evergreen campaign or remarketing or maybe just, you know, your DR side of of the pie. It's not something that's always thought of as table stakes or like basic fundamentals for all of your media types. So um, I think there's there's a ton of opportunity for clients to uh, enable it on all types of media and figure out how to customize it per, you know, outcome or if it's DR or, or brand or consideration intent. Um, so I think it's improved a lot in adoption, but still not too many clients are utilizing it across all portions of the funnel. They sort of maybe pick and choose one or two that they can invest the time and effort into um, launching it. Is it a little bit more focused on display and it's not really going to that next mile of like CTV uh, out of home, other other newly addressable formats. Yeah, I think display is probably the most popular and the most um, the easiest to pull off. Air quote on a podcast, <laughs> easy. But I think it's it requires a lot of it requires preparation and it requires thought and it requires you know advanced approvals. And in the world of creative, those are some things that you sometimes don't always have, right? Sometimes you get your creative, you know, the afternoon that you're meant to go live. And so I think there's definitely a link between, um, you know, longer term planning cycles and um, that strategy and, you know, making sure you have all the components to to go live on all components of your your media plan. Got it. So maybe the uh, the working models of, of the creative teams aren't quite 
aligned with what's needed for programmatic real time. Yeah. With programmatic, you can really be so agile and, you know, especially throughout the pandemic, we've seen that you can like launch a campaign, take a campaign down, change the messaging. It's so flexible that um, we're very spoiled in in turnaround times, I think, that we can do things pretty quickly. But um, to do creative right and to get the data connections and the inputs and the creative concepts, it does take a little bit longer than like a day or two to wrap it all up. Mm, for sure. So one word that you... Um said a couple of times before is outcomes, right? And Zaxis, I remember, has always been about outcomes to the point where your business model was based on delivering outcomes, right? Like clients wouldn't necessarily pay unless they achieve their outcomes. or um, and, and then a lot of that came down to this principle-based trading model where you had a stake in the inventory that you were selling. It was transparent. Clients knew about it. Are you still working that way or has that changed over time? Yeah, we are still absolutely putting our money where our mouth is with regards to outcome-based models. Um, so definitely still attractive for a lot of um, advertisers who um, might, you know, not have worked with a variety of different programmatic partners. Um, we are more and more um, in the world of a flexible flexible models for clients. So getting creative with what their actual needs are from a resourcing perspective or what their needs are from analytics or creative or, or custom, custom media um, to, to build models for them in, as well. So yes and yes, um, still definitely a part of what we do, but um, our menu has gotten bigger. Well, I would assume there's a lot more outcomes that you can deliver on now, right? Like how has the idea of an outcome changed for an advertiser? Yeah. So because of the sort of accessibility to data and, you know, we have really loved the idea of getting our analysts in a room with a data science team and an advertiser and saying, okay, you're talking about, you know, ticket sales or car purchases. Like how do we we don't have necessarily, we can't necessarily tag at that level based on the way your app is set up or your purchase funnel is set up. How do we come up with um, indicators um, of, of, of an action or an event? So what we love to do is try to connect as many data points as possible with our analytics team, data science at, on, you know, on the advertiser side to come up with ways to create custom KPIs. Um, so where we don't have, again, necessarily all of the components tagged, we can we can sort of come up with um, indicators to to understand success. So, um, you know, for cars, for example, a lot of you know you don't buy a car online. There's a, it's a multi step process, a lot of research. You go into a dealership, you test drive a car. Like you know that it's 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 not you know as you know it's not an Amazon you know buy now button. Um, and so coming up with, with different ways to track as far as we can as possible and then, you know, optimize media against that is, is where, um, you know, the, the challenges are, are great, but it's sort of, it's sort of the fun stuff. Yeah. So how is that changing now with this whole privacy landscape that's sort of unfolding in front of us? Like, it's very clear that, programmatic is operating in a very different world than it started in, and that's going to continue to become restricted by privacy controls. So how are you planning for this future, adapting to this future? And how is that changing maybe the services and the client relationships that you have? 
Yeah. So, I mean, this year has been a lot about pre- preparing for cookie lists. Obviously, things are pushed back a little bit. Um, and I think the whole industry is, is sort of in the same mode of, of preparation. You know, we still will always have access to data. It's just going to be different types of data. Um, things not might not be one-to-one or individualistic. They might be, you know, publisher-led or, you know, looked at at a group level instead of an individual one-to-one level. So we still will have data. It's not like data is going away and we still will be able to make decisions off of data that we, that we collect and, and know about our audiences. So, um, what we've been doing is, is taking clients through like preparation exercises of, okay, what, what do you have access to? How can we organize it? What can we test from a contextual perspective or location or, um, you know, email collection, things like that, things that we know will, will still stand and, and, and start testing, um, media buying that way. Um, you know, we, we have more time now before, before cookies, um, go away. But again, it's, it's a point in time where things are changing. It's not, we will have data, we will have access to data and, um, it's just working with clients based on what they have and, and if they don't have it, then like, okay, let's let's collect and, and here's where we can start uh, the journey. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about that. Like what data do clients have access to? There's first party data, obviously, but where are you finding opportunities for clients to continue doing addressable programmatic targeting? And then where do you sort of see those blank spots, those blind spots? Yeah. So I think, you know, contextual location. Um, those are, those are great points that maybe previously haven't been, um, accessed from a first party perspective. Um, there's also going to be, you know, second party data is, is quite rich after you've exhausted your first party data. So working with publishers to see what maybe they have access to based on their audiences and, and what they've been collecting. Um, so I think, you know, CRM data, location, and, and contextual are great places to start for, for brands coming through what they have. And when you talk about second-party data, which is sort of like it's a match, right, between the advertiser and the publisher, like a consented sort of deal that you guys make to share to share data, do you find that, like, because you're relying on publishers more, are you working more closely with them than you were in, like, the, the exchange cookie days? Yeah. And we've always worked closely with publishers. Um, I think, again, it goes back to a value exchange. Um, And so there's always going to be advertising ecosystems with interesting um, USPs and access to data. So we're always open to, to working with publishers on like, what do they have that's unique? What do they have from an audience perspective? How can, how does this differ from what we already have access to through the exchanges? Um, so I think now more than ever, if there, there are publishers that, that do have something interesting to offer, it's like ripe for the picking. Mm, for sure. And then that sort of leads into the whole walled garden conversation, right? That's why Walled Gardens are positioned to do very well in this mm-hmm. type of a shift because they have a lot of consented first-party data. Think about Facebook. Think about YouTube. Do you find that you're going to be relying on them more in this type of a world? It depends on, again, it depends on, on client goal. So, you know, if if a client's, um, an advertiser is 
is heavily into a branding campaign and they have amazing YouTube assets and, and video assets and, and, and their audience is aligned to a YouTube audience, then yes, we would you know, lean in there. So it should always like sort of stem from what is the the objective, what do we have access to, and then create the strategy around that. So if the wall garden is the place to be, then, then yeah, for sure. Mm. And I mean, just thinking about how many, like, like you said, a YouTube audience, I would assume everybody has some kind of a YouTube audience, right? Or is that, is that wrong to assume? Um, it's, it's not wrong to assume because, you know, YouTube is, is, is quite large and everyone uses YouTube in a variety of ways. But I guess to, to create a strategy that's really custom to one specific walled garden, I think there has to be um, a large enough um, audience there. There has to be, um, you know, it has to be really core to what you're trying to do, um, you know, versus, you know, sprinkling your dollars a little bit, a little bit everywhere. Mm, for sure. So um, there's all this, um, all these new tools are flooding the market to sort of adapt to these privacy changes. There's Unified ID 2.0, there's there's open identifiers, there's Google's Flock and Apple's SK Ad Network. Where are you finding success and like how reliant do you see your clients and, and your teams being on these tools going forward? Yeah, so we've got a handful of people who are are working on just this across Zaxis and across Group M. So really invested in in testing all of the the methods that are out there. Um, you know, nothing's sort of winning the race just yet. So it's all about um, as early as possible testing into all of these all of these. Um, cookie-less alternatives and IDs. So um, again, it's just like advising clients, like when you have the opportunity to test, test, because it's also not going to be the same for, for every client, I think. I think some clients will will lean into one type of um, ID solution versus another, again, depending on their business, on what they have access to from a data perspective. You know, an e-commerce client will be different than, you know, a CPG client. Um, so the jury's still out on on what's sort of um, going to to dominate, and again, it's all about testing and advising them on testing. Do you, um, to your point about it, like different solutions are going to work dif- for different clients? Do you think that there will be multiple identity solutions available in the market? Will it consolidate to just like a handful at some point? Is there always going to be like a new one every day? Like, what? Do you, how do you see this shaking I out? I, you know, there's I. I, if, if, if I knew I would be a very rich woman probably, um, you know, but my guess is like our, you know, our, our industries got a lot of players and there's a lot of inconsistency and fragmentation. So I wish there would be, you know, the ID solution to rule them all, but, um, it's probably not going to shake out that way. Mm. Well, to your point about, you know, there's a ton of, of players and ad tech and, um, in trying to, you know, solve for this. And um, as long as I've been following this space, there's always been a conversation about, you know, consolidation is coming, it's happening. And it sort of seems like it actually is now. There's like so many deals happening in the market this year. What do you, um, does that make your job easier or harder? Um, probably neither. <laughs> <laughs> Was that was that an option? No, I like it. Explain. <laughs> I, I mean, 
easier or harder? Like there's, there's no harder. I think it makes harder is really just more interesting in our industry. Like, you know, the reason why people work with programmatic agencies or agencies is because what we do is complicated and having experts who can stitch things together is, is the need, right? Like that's yeah. not something you're able to have in-house if you're an in-house brand or you, or you are, if you're, if you're quite large and you have a huge marketing department, but most brands don't have, you know, those experts in-house where they can stitch everything together. So that's why they, they, they work with an agency, um, or an agency partner. So it's not about harder or easier. It's about sort of like what, where's the value that we can bring. Um, and so if things are consolidated in, into one from, you know, a supply perspective or a tech perspective or measurement, like that's great. It can make our life easier in the sense that we can work with fewer partners in a more meaningful way, but then we end up going deeper on testing. So if it's one partner, you might try 10 different things with that one partner Um, versus if it's not consolidated and you're working with a variety of different partners or technology partners, then maybe you can't do a bunch of tests with each of them because you're, you know, you're, you have a more fragmented, um, media strategy, but it's hard because you're running multiple, you know, media tactics. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's not necessarily easier or harder based on amount of partners, because I think with fewer, you tend to go deeper and Mm -hmm. that's where more interesting tests can happen. And with more, you tend to be able to, try a lot of different things, learn a lot of different platforms, what are the strengths and weaknesses, get learnings for the next. And so there's there's plenty of work to busy yourselves and make it make it as as dynamic as possible, but I think that's that's the beauty of working with a programmatic agency um, who can help you navigate all that like okay, if we're going to go with one, like let's go deep and yeah. do something really interesting. I have no doubt that you're a very busy person, <laughs> no matter how many ad tech companies there are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so, I mean, thinking of like how programmatic is evolving and sort of going back to the beginning of our conversation, there's so much more addressable media than there was um, even 10, 15 years ago, right? There's CTV, there's digital out of home, there's programmatic audio. Where do you... Um, like what's changing about how clients are embracing addressable media in new formats? Are you seeing them really lean in there? And where do you sort of see the biggest opportunity? Yeah. So we, I, I mentioned earlier that um, it's Zaxxis's 10th birthday and you might've seen some of our um, marketing drum beats this year has been around this concept of 10 by 10, which is 10 trends um, and predictions for, for the next 10 years. So we put on our sort of, um, trends, trend forecasting hats to think about what's what's going to hit, and one of them is is omni-channel. And I think from an addressable perspective, like you have so many daily digital data interactions, um, especially like people in our industry probably have even more because we're, we tend to lean into more devices and, and technologies. Um, but you know, marketers who can sort of look at things fluidly across those channels. So like to your point, video, CTV, audio, digital out of home, commerce, um, looking at user habits across all of those patterns, like that is, is been one of the trends that we went deeper on this year. Um, and we think that like that fluidity of sort of omni-channel, cross-channel world um, is, is something that 
we see getting bigger over the next couple of years for sure. How does that um, change your value prop to agency? I mean, to clients, right? Because as the world becomes more addressable, naturally, the agencies under Group M, the media agencies will want to be able to deliver on these programmatic addressable capabilities. So is it just that you partner with them more or is it that, you know, they're sort of gaining some of the skill sets that were unique to Zaxxis? Yeah, so definitely like knowledge sharing as much as possible. Some of the things that Zaxxis has built itself on, because um, you know, a lot of a lot of what Zaxxis has built itself on is 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 now the fundamentals in programmatic and addressable advertising. Um, but you know, I think that it, for us, it it goes back to the outcomes, right? Like if you're a client who wants omnichannel and who wants results, those two things work really nicely together. And we work really well with with our agency partners to say, all right, if you want X amount of sales and you are open to finding those sales, regardless of format or channel, um, let us give you the right mix that follows that behavior to hit that goal. Um, So I think, again, like going back to outcomes, which is pretty cheesy, but like, what are you trying to do? And like, are you open to letting us do that regardless of where a user is on their on their digital journey are two really important questions to ask because if the answer is 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 yes to both of those we can do something very dynamic um you know and i think something that's a lot more forward thinking than you know the old school way of of media planning where it's like okay $10 goes to this and $10 goes to that and like your your budgeting becomes um, a lot more fluid and um, and nimble. Do you find that as the world shifts this way to a more dressable um, state, are you more of your clients, are they coming from the Group M agencies or does Axis have its own clients? So yeah, both. So we, we partner with um, Group M agencies and work with, with, with their clients and, and we also have um, uh, direct clients that, that Zaxxis works with. So um, we are really flexible in the ways that we work um, with, our, with our agency partners and as well as Clients Direct. What's the split? Oof, I don't have that number off the top of my head, but we can... Okay. Fair enough. We have Kelly to help us with that. Yeah. What's um? So one thing I wanted to just follow up on is you mentioned commerce, obviously huge topic, huge buzzword. Um, but specifically in programmatic retail media is becoming a very hot space, and I know, um, you guys have have been doing that for a while. Talk about what you're seeing there now that all of these retailers are launching their in-house ad networks. Yeah, it's like. It's, it's so crazy because it only took like a global pandemic where everyone needed to buy everything online instead of going to stores to accelerate what sort of was happening just with Amazon mostly, I guess. Um, you know, I think what's really interesting from a commerce perspective is is really the, the development of the of the middle category. Like, all right, before before COVID, we had total e-commerce, right? You buy online, it comes to your door. You Or you went into a store and you brought it home. Um, I think what's really interesting about the space is, is obviously that user behavior has changed so much with the pandemic and the concept of like order online and in-store pickup is, is, is really interesting. And I think that's a new category. Mm-hmm. Um, so one, just like that in itself 
being a, a really big changing, um, ever changing category. Like I do that all the time now. I'll like order a bunch of stuff on, you know, from Target and send my husband to go pick it all up, um, <laughs> which I never did before. I was either like, let's go to Target or I'm ordering things from Amazon because I'm lazy. Um, so that to me in itself is, is really interesting. And I think, you know, all of the the commerce networks, whether that's Walmart, you know, investing in DSP or things like, you know, Kroger e-commerce, Instacart, um, they're, they're, they're capitalizing on the right moment. Um, I think it's the right moment because the user behavior is there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for us, it's really cool because we actually have all these new, you know, media partners and DSPs coming coming out of the fold that our teams can learn and, and figure out how to um, best use them to, to drive uh, revenue ROAS for, for our clients. But um, it's each one is sort of a different spin on a different user behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, it's a really interesting, I think growth to see. And, 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 and that's why we sort of talk more about it as like commerce instead of just e-commerce, because there's so many variations of, of that behavior that, that we've seen driven or instigated by the pandemic. Right. And now it's, and now social commerce is becoming the big mm-hmm. thing. Right? So yeah. what's the opportunity there for an agency like Zaxxis? Um, so I think, you know, Social commerce is is also really fascinating. What we love to also play in the space of is 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 more an, a native as well. Um, so I think there's always that line of like native commerce, social commerce, um, you know, even YouTube commerce. They're all sort of like in the in different gradations of 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 a similar aspect. Again, it's about where is your audience. Um, what's the right thing that you have from a creative or asset perspective? What are your goals? And and that can absolutely be, um, you know, part of the strategy. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, you have all these different types of um, businesses launching advertising businesses, right? So like you mentioned, Instacart, there's the buy now, pay later apps. Like, is there just, what does it mean as more addressable inventory opens up? Um, yeah, just, again, it's more opportunity. Um, and I think it's a little bit more of that fragmentation that you mentioned. So when you're like, does it make life easier or harder? I think, I think it makes things more interesting and it gives us the more of an ability to find maybe more pockets of efficiency or sales to your point, like a Kroger and Instacart, like those were places before that we couldn't necessarily um, buy media and and drive sales for clients. So it, it, it brings more opportunity for us to drive outcomes for our clients and more opportunity for our people to learn new platforms um, and new spaces and, and sort of try to link everything together um, via analytics. For sure. You guys thrive on the fragmentation. <laughs> um, so um, I want to just talk a little bit about you and your career. You joined us, uh, you became president of Zaxxis during the pandemic. Um, what was that like? Um, I would like to think of myself as a, as a, you know, COVID job switcher, early adopter. Um, <laughs> Cause I, you know, the, the, I, I definitely um, changed roles very early on June. So like we were working from home, I think like 
three months at the time, right? We all went home around mid-March. Um, it was, it's, it's been, it's been a crazy journey. Um, you, you know, still having not met many of my colleagues, now things are opening up more back in person and people are starting to go into the office a little bit, um, you know, ad hoc, but still, you know, not meeting colleagues. Um, but looking back and, and seeing that in, in the past almost year and a half, we've been able to um, come up with like total culture, virtual culture, um, hiring strategy, um, you know, 2021 goals, onboard new clients, um, have even like, you know, strategy sessions, team, team leadership sessions, um, do all of these things virtually, have holiday parties virtually and, and ongoing all hands meetings and DEI efforts. Like it's so crazy how much you've been able to accomplish, I think, as an organization, even virtually. And despite all of the the industry craziness and the great resignation that we're seeing in the U.S. and globally, like to think about starting a job remotely and working with an organization remotely and coming out with all of these new ways of working together um, has been it's something I'm never going to forget. Like it's, it's a really interesting, um, time in my career and challenge. Mm. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And to your point on the, um, the great resignation, like Zaxxis is a very technical company. Like I'm sure you have tons of engineers and product people. And, um, how do you, how do you attract this type of talent? It's such a competitive market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think like, and the thing about, working virtually and remotely still, even as things, you know, hybrid into the new year, hopefully, but, um, is that the cult, you know, the work is always really fascinating, but when you interview for a job, you get vibes from, from the team, right. And you get a vibe for the culture, um, and the office location and, you know, all of those things that were sort of tangible, before the pandemic became not tangible, intangible. And so really rethinking, like, what is our offering? Um, obviously, the work is the work. The work is always going to be interesting. You'll never have a dull moment if you work at Zaxxis. There's so much opportunity, right? And to work on all of these cool projects and industry challenges that we've been talking about. But um, how do you come across, you know, how do you bring that culture forward? How do you bring those the chemistry forward when it's all being done over, over video is, 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 has been a big exercise in trial and error. And we've Mm -hmm. had to learn a lot along the way. Um, and there's a lot of competition right there right now, you know, with other tech partners, agencies, you know, a lot of people want something new. Um, and people are, are looking for new opportunities and, you know, getting to a point where we can articulate our, our values and our culture, in addition to, of course, the work and the job description and the salary and all of that good stuff, that's important. You know, it, it took us a minute to, mm-hmm. to figure that out for sure. Is there anything you learned that you would share with the listeners? Yeah, I think, you know, the big thing for, for me has been just the need to have obviously cultures of, of inclusion and um, teamwork and collaboration because 
working remotely is is difficult and new for everyone or was new. I think it's just about communication. And if you can be, if you can get across what you're trying to say to somebody, if you can communicate why to work here, what you're going to get out of it, um, what sort of opportunities you have, and you can do that in a clear way, I think that's that can really attract talent. Um, and then once you're here and once you're working in this way, communication, communication, communication. I think no one, you know, could have anticipated the value of over communicating while, you know, people are apart from each other. So I don't know if that's like such a, a secret to share, but um, that has been table stakes for us as an organization to be as over communicative with, with ourselves, with each other, with our clients, with prospective new hires, um, and sort of everything in between. Well, it's definitely very important, especially when you don't have those moments of, you know, chance communication in the hallway or, or the bathroom stall. Yeah. As, as, yeah. I call those like the old, like osmosis, right? Like, exactly. just like being around people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll be around people again a little bit more going forward, but until then, thank you so much for joining me, Gila. Um, it's great to have you. Thanks so much for having me, Allison. That's all the time we have for this week. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Campaign Chemistry on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.